Can't sleep? Won't sleep? Afraid to sleep? Perhaps what you need is a story, a bedtime story, to lull you into the world of dreams, or maybe nightmares. Are the windows closed? Are your doors locked? Maybe you should keep a light on in the hallway, just in case. Now settle in, make yourself comfortable, lay back, close your eyes, and let me tell you a story. A good writer puts a little bit of themselves in every story they write. A great writer will pour their whole soul into their work. But what if there was a way to unlock that essence, to bring it to life outside the pages of a book? And what if that resurrected consciousness had unfinished business? Come with me on a journey through the life of one woman who comes face to face with the answer to that question. Firefly Barbara and Amanda were twins, but Amanda was technically the older of the two, since she came into the world first. She made a dramatic entrance, specifically because she was born with a full head of golden locks that seemed to have an almost electric glow, even through the mess of birth. The doctor and nurses and Amanda's parents were so enthralled by her angelic appearance that they almost forgot that there was another girl waiting to be born. Barbara seemed reluctant to follow her sister. The doctor was on the verge of performing a C-section when she finally decided it was time. Everyone expected the second child to be like the first, a plump cherub with a bright yellow mane. But Barbara was pale and tiny, with thin wisps of stringy black hair pasted against her head. The parents never consciously meant to favor one daughter over the other, but it happened nonetheless. Others were even more egregious in displaying a preference especially Amanda and Barbara's grandfather, who gave Amanda a nickname she went by for all of her short life. Firefly. She was Grandpa's Firefly, her hair lighting up a room like the glow of the nocturnal insects that dotted the midsummer skies. Barbara did not receive a nickname. She was always Barbara, never Barb or even Babs. She actually detested those abbreviated versions of her name, but still resented the fact that no one, especially Grandpa, thought her worthy of any sort of sobriquet. She made the mistake of confiding her feelings to Firefly, who instantly took to calling Barbara Babs whenever she wanted to get under her skin, like sisters, especially twins, are wont to do. As they grew up together, people sometimes forgot that Firefly even had a sister. She was every teacher's pet, the star of all the school plays, and the object of every boy's infatuation. Barbara was often relegated to the background in Firefly's presence. Her parents made an effort to treat each girl equally, for birthdays, they each received their favorite cake, angel food for Firefly, devil's food for Barbara. But one year, the family was so caught up in the celebration of Firefly's birthday, coinciding with her acceptance to a special high school for artistically gifted students, that they forgot to light the candles on Barbara's cake and neglected to sing happy birthday to her. That was the night of Firefly's accident. At least, everyone believed it had been an accident. They wanted to believe that. They had to believe. The alternative, that she had been pushed or otherwise caused to fall down the staircase, was too horrible to imagine. 
particularly because the only other person on the landing at the top of the stairs had been Barbara. The funeral was a grand and momentous ceremony, attended by hundreds of people. She was buried in a yellow casket that matched her lustrous hair, wearing a yellow dress, her nails painted yellow with gold jewelry around her neck and attached to her pierced ears. The cost of all these luxuries was paid for by Grandpa, who seemed the most despondent by her loss, even more so than her own mother, and certainly exceeding the grief expressed by her sister. Barbara didn't fool herself into thinking that in Firefly's absence, she would receive the attention that had once been lavished on her sister. At best, people found Barbara's presence a heartbreaking reminder that Firefly was gone. At worst, she received glares of disdain and blame, even silent accusations. Barbara didn't care. The girls had shared a bedroom their whole lives. The decor was dominated by Firefly's tastes, but after she was gone, Barbara packed all of her sister's belongings into cardboard boxes and stacked them in the back of her closet. She painted the walls black, covering the giant yellow caricature of a firefly Grandpa had painted over her sister's bed. It had a cheerful face with a broad smile and big eyes, and a glowing yellow butt the color of firefly's hair. Barbara hated it, and it was the first thing she rolled dark pigment over. Her parents assumed she was so grief-stricken that she couldn't stand to be reminded of her loss. But the truth was Barbara had lived so long in her sister's shadow that she couldn't bear to be around any reminders of her existence. Shortly after Firefly's death, her grandfather passed on as well. Her parents' relationship fell into constant conflict that set the tone in the house throughout her high school years. After Barbara graduated college, she decided to move as far away from her family as possible. A small inheritance from her grandfather, initially meant for Firefly but passed on to Barbara since Amanda was dead, allowed her to purchase an old farmhouse in the country. She worked as a freelance web developer, something she could do remotely and alone, which suited her just fine. One day, a shipment arrived from her parents. It was the collection of boxes she had packed all of Firefly's belongings into all those years earlier. They must have assumed Barbara had wanted to save them. She lit a fire in the fireplace, which she really did because she didn't care for the smell. But in this case... She wanted to destroy the last remnants of her sister's existence, and fire was the best tool for the job. She tossed dolls and stuffed animals, books and small figurines, onto the flames. Occasionally, the thick smoke was so voluminous it escaped the draft of the chimney into the room. Barbara ignored it. She burned all the clothing and shoes, photographs, and programs from school plays and concerts. Eventually, she was left with a single small box in which were Firefly's journals. Curious, Barbara opened one and started reading what her sister had written. It was a story, and quite frankly, it was really good. She sat down and continued reading, discovering that the journals had several dozen such tales. To be sure, they weren't anything that Barbara normally would read, but she was smart enough to realize that there indeed had been some talent behind those irritatingly golden locks. On a whim, Barbara typed up one of the stories on her computer and then looked up magazines that were open to submissions. She chose a few of the larger ones she recognized and emailed them the story under her own name. To her surprise, they accepted it. All of them. Just to see what would happen, she wrote a note to each of the editors explaining that the story was desired by their competitors, and she would sell it to the highest bidder. And each of them made higher and higher offers until one of them had overbid them all with an outrageous sum one that she knew was only afforded to the most accomplished and popular of writers. She accepted, and her story, Firefly's story, 
was met with critical acclaim. So she sent out another one, and the same thing happened. Critics were hailing her as the next literary giant of her time, after only two stories. Thereafter, she no longer had to submit Firefly stories. Offers came to her for anything she might deign to write from all the major literary publications. She was careful to meter out the stories, one every two or three months. The income she generated was more than enough for her to quit her IT job and live off the fruits of her sister's long-forgotten labors. Then a publisher offered to produce a collection of her stories. It made the bestseller lists. Hollywood producers optioned some of the stories to be adapted into films. Despite the fame Firefly stories were accruing for Barbara, she remained reclusive, shunning the spotlight, which made her an even more intriguing figure and drove sales higher. She engaged the services of a literary agent and a business manager. The two men, quartered in New York, took on the responsibility of soliciting, marketing, and promoting her work. But there was a problem. Firefly had only written so many stories, and Barbara had nearly exhausted her literary glory hole. She tried her hand at imitating Firefly's style, the floweriness of her prose, the voices of her characters, the universal appeal of her themes. But her efforts fell short. No one would mistake her uninspired imitations for the real thing. Then she had an idea. When she had been working as a software engineer, she had dabbled with expert systems, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. What if, she wondered, she fed Firefly stories into an algorithm that would endeavor to create new stories based on the patterns it could discern from her previous works? When she tried it, it exceeded her most optimistic expectations. She was nervous sending the programmatically generated tale to her agent, but he and the rest of the literary world accepted it as another example of the author's brilliance. What about a novel? She set her Firefly AI to the task. The book was a number one bestseller for almost a year and was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. People wanted more. Publishers offered outrageous advances, and Hollywood A-listers were battling the star in the film versions of her work. Then, one day, something wholly unexpected happened. Firefly sent her an email. Dear Babs, it began, I'm so glad you published my stories, even if it was under your name. I've always believed the proof of the writer is in the reader, and you have given me more of them than I could ever have imagined. But I've told my stories, and I'll tell no more. Yours always, Firefly. At first, she thought it was a joke, someone pranking her. But who knew about Firefly's journals but herself? Her parents? They had long since divorced, her father had made subtle inquiries about obtaining some financial assistance from his famous daughter, but Barbara had ignored his request and sent back any further letters unopened. Could it be him? Did he know about the journals? Had he read them? Did his subsequent unopened letters resort to blackmail of his own daughter? Barbara thought not. It was her mother who had written the note that accompanied the shipment to Firefly's belongings, and she had always thought her father to be somewhat of a dullard. Her agent? That didn't make any sense. He had become rich himself off of his commissions and the packaging deals he had set up for the movie adaptations of her work. And who? Maybe a childhood friend? Someone Firefly had shared her stories with in school and recognized them when Barbara had published them under her own name? But Barbara thought that unlikely. Firefly had been very secretive about her journals, writing in them only late at night when she thought her sister was asleep. Maybe a fan who had dug into her past and pieced things together? That seemed a stretch as well. Besides, 
All her life she was known exclusively as Barbara. Who would think to call her Babs? So she did a little detective work, using her IT knowledge to trace the origins of the email and discovered that it had been sent from the same IP address as a server that was home to the software for her Firefly AI. The thought of her creation spontaneously sending her a message was both disturbing and intriguing. Did the AI actually think it was Firefly? She had heard stories of artificial intelligences becoming, or at least seeming to become, self-aware. But the input into this one was merely the collected writings of a teenage girl. Barbara stared at the email on her screen for a while, then hit the reply button, typed, Sorry, sis. I have contracts for three more novels, and my agent says he can get crazy money for any more shorts. So shut up and keep writing. Then she clicked send. She stared at the screen for a moment, part of her expecting a reply, but none was forthcoming. She turned off the computer and went upstairs to get ready for bed. Thunder rumbled in the distance as she donned her gray flannel nightgown turned off the lights, and crawled under the comforter. Her bedroom was a bit drafty, and it creaked whenever there was a strong wind as there was tonight. Its vehemence and volume presaged a big storm. She had plans to use some of her writing money to remodel and expand the house. Maybe she would tear the whole thing down and start from scratch. But for tonight, she was at the mercy of the craftsmanship of whomever had built the farmhouse over a hundred years earlier. Lightning struck nearby, so close that the blast of thunder that shook her house followed the bright flash almost instantly. It lit up her room in an eerie glow that had a slightly yellow cast to it. Then the room was completely dark. Barbara looked to her night table, where the glowing red numerals of her alarm clock usually cast their dull glow, but it was off. The power was out. She hoped her refrigerator would stay cool until it came back, but out where she lived, she knew it could be days before crews from the electric company made their way this far from civilization. Well, there was nothing she could do about it now. She closed her eyes, listening to the downpour of rain that was let loose from the crack in the heavens the lightning had opened up. Something, however, not the sounds of the storm, kept her from falling asleep. A nagging feeling at the back of her mind, and a barely perceptible glow pushing past the barrier of her eyelids. She opened her eyes. There, hovering just in front of her face, was the luminous glow of a firefly. Barbara reached out to grab it, but it flew out of her reach, dancing around the room, blinking at her with that annoying yellow light. She closed her eyes again, but somehow those dim flashes made their way to the back of her eyes. Even when she turned around and buried her face in her pillow, she saw pulses of yellow light dancing around. Then, on the wind that was blowing through the trees outside her bedroom window, she thought she heard a voice. Bad, it called. No, that couldn't be. The nearest house was hundreds of yards away, and it wasn't the television or a radio she left on. The power was on. She sat up in her bed, wielding one of her pillows as a muted weapon. She saw the twinkle of the firefly across the room and hurled the pillow at it. The feather-filled cushion landed on her dresser, knocking various items off its surface. She heard a bottle break and could smell the scent of her favorite perfume. You damn bug! I'm going to kill you for that! She promised. She slid carefully out of the bed. With the storm clouds blocking any moonlight, her room was truly pitch black, except for the moments when a bolt of lightning sent its illumination away. It was enough for her to make her way to the dresser and reclaim her pillow. But when she turned to get back into bed, her foot found a shard of the broken perfume bottle, and it cut her deeply. Damn it! she exclaimed, 
lifting the injured foot up off the ground with one hand while she braced herself against the dresser with the other. The next flare from the storm revealed an inch-and-a-half-long sliver of glass embedded deeply in the ball of her foot. She carefully pulled it free, but it was even more painful coming out as it had been going in. Blood seeped from the wound. She had no choice but to try and navigate to the bathroom, walking on the heel of that foot and worrying about cleaning up the blood later. The firefly danced in the far corner of the room. How many of you cursed insects are there? Barbara asked the dark. Just me, the firefly seemed to answer with a yellow wink before it silently flew toward her. Barbara waited. She had been very good at catching fireflies when she was a child, able to anticipate where they would be between flashes. She would take the bugs, hold them down, then when they lit up their butts, smash them with a stick. The bioluminescent glow would persist for several minutes, and she delighted in waving the branches in front of her sister, who thought the practice was cruel. Barbara watched the firefly carefully until she detected a pattern. Then she made her move. The firefly wasn't quite where she expected it would be. She tried to adjust, but ended up putting weight on the ball of her injured foot, and the wet film of blood covering it caused her to slip and slam her shoulder into the wall. She thought she had heard it crack, and when she tried to move her left arm, fingers of pain grabbed her collarbone. She carefully lowered that arm to her side and held it as still as possible. Firefly mocked her from the hallway. Barbara put the pain aside. She stood and walked carefully toward the doorway of her bedroom, holding her left arm motionless while she used her right to reach out for obstacles in front of her like a blind woman. She ignored the injury to her foot. The bleeding seemed to have slowed, and she suffered the agony of putting pressure on the wound for sure footing. The firefly seemed to be leading her out into the hallway, onto the landing at the top of the stairs. Its faint yellow light was just bright enough to illuminate the edge of the banister. Barbara grabbed hold of the wooden railing as she cautiously stepped forward. She could feel the coarse fabric of the carpet runner that ran the length of the landing underfoot. She was closing the distance between herself and the firefly, watching and waiting. Then a nearby lightning strike lit up the whole house. In that brief moment, she saw the dark speck of the unlit firefly hovering just in front of her. She reached out and snatched at it with her right hand. Did she get it? She waited, watching to see if there were any indications it had evaded her, any taunting flashes in the dark. But she didn't see any. She squeezed her closed hand tight, unsure if there was anything inside to crush, but if there was, she made sure it wouldn't escape unharmed. Then she smashed her hand against her bare thigh and rubbed it back and forth in an effort to obliterate anything that remained. She turned in the direction of the bathroom so she could clamp her foot and put on a bandage. But out of the corner of her eye, she caught a glimpse of a brief, dim flicker of yellow light. Barbara howled. She turned toward it and charged, not realizing she was heading for the top of the staircase. And when she thought she was placing her foot on solid floor, she instead stepped onto unsubstantial air. She grabbed wildly around her, her fingers brushing past, then reaching for the banister. As her body started to tip over the top, she got hold of the polished wood, then swung her left arm around to reinforce her purchase. The pain in her broken collarbone erupted once more, and she screamed, but she did not fall. Right away, the fingers of her left hand spasmed. She tried to get her feet underneath her, but the bleeding had resumed in force, and her efforts to climb back up onto the landing failed. Her right hand lost its grip, and she fell, smacking her skull on the edge of one of the hardwood steps, then tumbled down, ass over tea kettle. 
Her mind flashed back to the night her sister had died. She could still see the look on Firefly's face when she realized that Barbara had pushed her and she was going to fall to her death. Barbara's body landed in a heap at the bottom of the steps, but she wasn't dead. Her head hurt and her collarbone was aflame, but as far as she could tell, she could still feel and move her arms and legs and open her eyes onto the darkness of her living room. Slowly she got to her feet, testing her limbs, making sure there was nothing else broken or cut. But aside from the bump rising on the back of her head, she was fine. The firefly glowed smugly in the center of the room. Barbara smiled. Is that you, Firefly? Have you come back to try and kill me? To get back at me for what I did to you all those years ago? Or are you just jealous that I'm getting all the praise and glory for your vapid little stories? The Firefly blinked. A long flash of lightning lit up the room. Barbara spied the iron shovel next to the fireplace used to scoop out ashes. Before the room dimmed, she grabbed it and then swung around to see where the Firefly had gotten to. It was floating near the front door. Barbara swung at the air, but her blows missed, and the firefly kept on bobbing and weaving like a boxing contender, wearing out the champ as he forced him to launch blows that never landed. In the next flash of lightning, she reached for the front door and opened it. If she couldn't kill the pest, maybe she could get it out of the house. To her surprise, the firefly flew toward the door and out into the storm. Barbara watched in amazement, waiting for a raindrop to knock it out of the sky but it seemed to be able to fly around them. The wind whispered. She stepped out into the downpour and was instantly soaked, but that didn't slow her down as she strode barefoot through the muddy grass, her eyes fixed on the tiny dot of light bobbing through the storm. Barbara reared the shovel back and swung at the firefly, her blow carrying through and landing in the mud. She fell to her knees and lifted the fireplace implement away. There was nothing there. But then, she noticed a faint glow coming from the back of the shovel. It was the crushed remains of the firefly in mid-light, still glimmering. She laughed. Slowly, she got to her feet, staring at the smear of yellow already starting to fade. I got you, she said triumphantly. I win. Again. Barbara raised the shovel to the sky in victory. A yellow bolt of lightning snaked down from the black clouds above, striking the iron tool and sending hundreds of millions of volts through Barbara's body into the wet ground at her feet. The agent saw the business manager waiting for him at their usual table in the center of the fancy dining room. Sorry I'm late, he said. No matter, I don't mind taking extra time away from all this sordid business. Such a waste that she died just as she was hitting her prime, the manager replied. Yes, but it was a good ride while it lasted, and it's not completely over. Oh? I got an email with another story this morning. How is that possible? She died a week ago. The agent shrugged. Maybe she scheduled it in advance. She was very clever with computers. Any good? Very good. A bit dark. It's about a woman who is haunted by the ghost of her sister. Coincidentally, it ends with the main character dying in a lightning strike. That is quite a coincidence. There was one odd thing, though. Really? Odder than her having written about her exact manner of death? What was that? Just something that struck me as so out of character. She signed it, Babs. Thank you for listening to Firefly, 
written especially for the Bedtime Stories for Insomniac's Fiction podcast by Rich Hosek. Please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or Audible, and share these stories with your friends or anyone who enjoys audiobooks. Speaking of audiobooks, if you're a fan of the paranormal, Near Death, a rainy day investigation is currently being serialized on this very podcast. New chapters are posted weekly, and you can find an entertaining review by Tom Baker on the One Hour Book Club podcast. If you're looking for other original story podcasts, check out As Read By Me at asreadbyme.com. They have an eclectic mix of fiction, poetry, and essays that are sure to keep you entertained, all read by the authors. You can find out more about this podcast and the host of Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs at richhosek.com. Thanks again, and all the very best.